This is RSA Radio, and I'm Rachel O'Brien. Hardly a day goes by without headlines reminding us of the huge challenges facing the UK's prison service. The system depends on having the right staffing and the right resources in place, but it also depends on prisoners being able to develop and sustain positive relationships. In this series, we explore some of the connections that have helped people to rebuild their lives. The life of trained officers, they knew how to speak to you in a respectful way. They was actually trained in this. The normal officer that's not been trained could open the door and say hello to you. I don't know. Say, for example, you didn't say something back because you were just thought, oh, I'm just in my own zone at the moment. I've had some bad news. And say something back to you, like, and be rude to you. That could just be that kicking point which could just set someone off. Whereas a long-term trained officer would know and give you that space, leave you alone, and then the next day, oh, you're right, and then you could just say, oh, yeah, sorry about yesterday, I had a bad day. But they would give that opportunity. This is the last of our series of programmes exploring the importance of relationships when people are in prison and on release. Here, we talk to Tom, which is not his real name, who, though still young, has spent nearly half of his life inside. We began this series highlighting the huge challenges facing the UK prison system. Despite some fantastic prison governors and staff, the service is under acute pressure due to cuts in funding and staffing. Ironically, the officer due to join us for this conversation was unable to do so because of an incident in the prison where he now works. So I talked to Tom about the nature of prisoners' relationships with frontline staff, how much difference this can make, and whether the prison system is enabling these positive connections to flourish. Tom, we're going to talk about the kind of different kinds of relationships that shape people's time in prison. If you can go back to the beginning, what happened when you first came to prison? I got locked up for a really serious offence, which I spent over a decade in prison for. So I've missed out all my young years, basically, in prison. Where you would have grown outside, I've done that actually inside. I'm coming to the end of my time in prison now. I started off in the juvenile estate. In there, I find it to be a lot more immature. You're around immature people, a lot more reckless, a bit more wilder, maybe not taking things serious as much, which led on to me going into the YO system. Young offenders is 18 to 21. So as you go there, you do notice a bit of a difference, not too much more. But it's still no relationship with officers. It seemed like they actually was the enemy and you was just two different people at all. I never even seemed to get on because I was always spoke to like crap I found and shown no respect, no trust, nothing. Talked down on, just that was it. When I was 21, I went to a male's adult prison. That was my first kind. That would have been a B category prison. So it's a lot more higher security. Staff relationships with prisoners are a lot better in there, I found. They give you a lot more respect, give you that trust and give you that opportunity to actually show them that you can be normal, you can be trusted. And yeah, be treated like a human being rather than just spoke to like a piece of crap, really. And you got to do a lot of offending behaviour work in there. That's involved educational courses, leading from open university courses to MVQs, ranging through to cooking, everything you can practically think of, really. 
that's where I see my biggest change in me. You mentioned the different sort of relationships that you seem to have with the people in the Young Offenders Institute to adult prison. Can you try and explain how those things differed? In Young Offenders Institute, people are a lot more ruthless, reckless, not grown up, so more immature, stupid things happening. The difference between that and adults prison is there's a lot more respect in there, so there's a lot more things happening, like, kind of you could say, like, rules, but they're not rules, but in a way they are, because when you're grown up, you kind of just know what's respectful and not, so no loud music being played at a certain time. To leave your door open, no one would ever steal out your room. It's just... But whereas if you was in the Young Offenders Institute, there's nothing like that. People just playing music all night, shouting no respect in that aspect and at your window, shouting at your window. Now, if you did that in a male's prison, you'd be looked down on like that's like you're a little kid. But if you was in a Young Offenders Institute, that's not an issue at all. Everyone does it. So it's like the norm. So are the things that you've seen worked in terms of getting other prisoners to respect each other, support each other, listen to each other? The projects that go on inside prison, that's one that works and is proven because I've been involved in one myself and has had massive effects on staff, prisoners and everyone. So peer support projects, the way you give them more trust, let them start taking on things themselves, letting them show their abilities, what they can do, taking workload off officers. So then that might be chilling them out as well because they're doing petty things, prisoners themselves can do it. So it gets things done a lot quicker and faster gives them more time to focus on other bigger things, which they may have to do. Better access to speak to direct management, which is pretty quick, which gets things resolved quickly, rather than thinking you're not being heard, you're just speaking to a brick wall, getting answers back. So you actually feel that you're being heard of what you've got to voice your concerns about. That's massive. So that could change your whole wing's attitude, thinking, all right then, nothing's happened, you're taking a piss, that's it, that could stop that wing from writing that night literally just through someone taking their time out from management saying this is the situation can't happen overnight but we will look into it we'll do this rather than just not hearing nothing we was getting stuff like that done which changed the environment of the prison which did have high assault rates bells going off every two seconds and literally seeing the environment change in front of your eyes so it does work it's just whether they're going to implement them changes and do that what do you think gives someone authority that can just be the way you ask someone to do something. You could get two officers ask the same person one thing and one of them does it and one of them don't. And it's just the way they've asked them that. And they feel like they've been speaking down to. So they will automatically go out their way not to do it. Whereas if someone goes there and, and you're just polite, which it don't cost you nothing to be polite and normal, and then that's it, and then ask them and they'll go and do it. So I guess that's it as well. People skills as well. Like, you could go into a room and probably have a 100 people and probably, I don't know, maybe 20 of them would be only fit to be able to be prison officers. If you wanted it to be a successful prison and change people. For example, when I went into the CCAT establishment, I found near enough every day I was being tested to my limit the way I was being spoken to. And the first DCAT that I ever went to, as soon as I got into reception, I was spoke to, like, literally like a kid, like, crap and saying, if I don't like it, get back on the bus, you can go back. In a CCAT, you're going to have people just coming in off the streets, which might speak to staff like crap every day. 
So they're just used to getting abuse. Now you're going to have a long term one. Because they've spoken to that, they're just seeing you, they're painting you all with one brush. So every door they're opening to, they're being disrespectful. They don't care because they're thinking, oh, because of, I don't know, maybe 50% of the prisoners do get abused. But then they're giving that same hatred out to everyone rather than just thinking, all right, then, he's a good lad. We'll leave him, but obviously, I don't know, if he talks you crap, I'll give it him back. In your time, what do you think allowed the best kinds of staff prisoner relationships to develop? The ones that was fully trained, for one, because when I was in the YO estate, that's where I seen a big difference. You had actually had life trained officers and normal officers. The life trained officers, they used for long term as lifers, they knew how to speak to your in a respectful way. They was actually trained in this recognising that you're a normal human being that can wake up one day and have a bad day. So just give you that little bit of room and then give you that benefit of a doubt and let you chill out and go from there. But then if you had the normal officer that's not been trained, he's just been the basic training, now you could open the door and say hello to, I don't know, just say, for example, you didn't say something back because you were just thought, oh, I'm just in my own zone at the moment, I've had some bad news, and say something back to you like and be rude to you, and that could just be that kicking point which could just set someone off. Whereas a, a life a trained one or long-term a trained officer would know and give you that space, leave you alone, and then the next day, oh, you're right, and then you could just say, oh, yeah, sorry about yesterday, I had a bad day. But they would give that opportunity. So that's the difference between it, really, I think. Probably the first time I ever really come across it was when I was in YO, was coming to the end of my time, and uh, there was an old veteran officer that I had a lot of respect for. And he come up to me and he got me in the office and he basically, he kind of talked to you like he was your granddad or something. And it was like, you wouldn't be rude to him because he was an old man, but it was really, and he just told you how it was and says like, I know you're a good lad, sort yourself out, you're doing this. Told you everything that he thought and says, change it. Do you know what I mean? I know that you're definitely a good lad, sort yourself out. And that's really nice to actually have that. And someone actually generally cared. He didn't have to do that. That was way above what he had to do, but he did it. You can't just pick anyone from the street. You've got to have someone that's understanding and is open-minded and knows a lot. For example, that people have bad days and there's reasons behind people being there. Everyone's got a different story. So being able to read into that person's character that what his issues are or aren't. Coming to the end of my sentence, there's been a few that have had a big impact on my future really and helped me out in ways which needed to be done and made kind of executive decisions on their own back in a way. I want you to talk about when you first arrived in your last prison and that officer was doing some work and then asked you to help him. We just moved to a new prison actually, someone that I knew from the old prison, both got transferred on the same day. We are both getting to know this new place. It must have been a couple of days later or something. I can't remember what many days. We've gone down to the office and the manager's come across in his day and it was a kind of warmish day. And he's like, oh, I'm going to do some work on a, a journey and building next to it. He says, you, you guys come over and help me if that's OK. And he's like, yeah, it's not a problem. So we've gone over there and literally we've got some spades, got a few tools to sort out, a little garden area. And we're basically all there and it's, what it was was different was, is whereas before you would have been doing the work and the officer just be there doing whatever. But this time it was, 
we was doing the work, the officer was doing just as much as us. We were talking between each other, getting asking us normal questions, what we plan to do, what we want to do, what we thought, this general normal chat, talking to you like you're a human being rather than just a prisoner or whatever they wanted to call you. And it was just normal, it was nice actually to have that. And that was an actual manager rather than just even a normal officer. Where he didn't have to do that himself and neither did we, but whereas he gives you respect, you actually give him that respect back and thought, you know what, he's actually a really nice guy. And he probably thought the same about us as well, like once he got to know us. So yeah, I think that makes a massive change as in managers and governors as well. And actually talking to you like you're a human being and getting to know you and showing you that trust and giving you that chance to actually go out there and show what you can actually do. And I think that's massive because you don't get that very often at all. It is a rare thing, especially someone that's probably higher up. In terms of the education, what was the kind of relationship you had with those teachers and how did they compare to when you were at school in the outside world? I actually found that most of the teachers actually tried hard and the majority of them I come across was really good and I had a lot of respect for. Like Some of them would actually go out of their way to help you. Maybe the difference is you've probably got more distractions as in the teaching bit in the Young Offenders Institute, which is classes, because all of you have got to do education in wires, whereas when you go to adults, it's more of an optional thing. You can go and work somewhere in the kitchens or in the stores or however, whatever job that may be. Two different environments, but I always find the teachers actually really did try a lot, most of them. Tell me a little bit about how you've maintained that relationship with your family over what has been a very long period of time. Maintained it through letters, phone calls, visits. They're the three main things that you could do. And I suppose they're things as well what people forget. Someone might have been on a visit waiting for their family and the family didn't turn up and then that could just set them off. So it is a very emotional thing for people, them three things there. That means a lot to everyone. It kind of can make your day. And that was a massive experience for my family. They all felt it. My mum, my sister, brothers, distant family from your grandmas, granddads. They all live in that sentence just as much as you are. And they're having to drive up and down the country to visit you. Being searched every time of coming into a prison, which they've not done nothing wrong, so why should they have to go through that? Having their letters read phone calls listened to and not being able to have their family member that they want with them at times when they're stressed out and maybe they might think oh I'd love it if I could speak to them right now but you they can't make that choice to ring you it's only on their terms when you've got time to ring them so it's sad and it's horrible sometimes you might get a phone call and one of your family members is crying and something's happened and you're there's nothing else you can do except talk on that phone and then you might only have five minutes on the phone and that's it. So then you've got to go back to your room, sit there all night, probably have a sleepless night because you're worrying about them. And there's nothing that can be done. You can't speak to them. You don't know if they're all right. And the next thing you're going to know is probably wait till eight o'clock the next day to get that call. That's if it's even so that day, which it might not be. And you might have to wait two days, 48 hours to even hear if they're all right. So if you can imagine every other day through different people that could be happening. So that's the sort of stress levels prisoners have as well. Private prisons seem to actually support it a lot more. You have a lot more family days, which are absolutely amazing. Because I've been on them for a prison, you probably won't get much better. Probably last five hours or something, get close, go and come back to castles, stuff like that with your 
family so it's kind of nice and relaxing environment you don't probably feel like you are in prison but then in HMP is as much as there's other things that go you won't really get that it'd be very rare and unlikely to actually have something like that Have you seen governors that have a particular type of leadership that you think has been good or bad? Or if you were Secretary of State for a day, you'd say, that's what I want to see. I'd want to see governors be able to make executive decisions like off their own back of what they thought because they know their prison and prisoners better than someone sitting in London does that makes all these final decisions. So giving them the ability to work in their different prisons which have got different things going from as in different contracts with different firms. Different prisons were based in different areas so if you think right the majority of my prisons are getting released to this area, the amount of jobs in this area are this so that means that you should work around that. So giving them that flexibility to be able to change things to fit what suits them is going to suit the prisoners and not to rehabilitate which is the main thing. So I'm just thinking about now and the way that the prison system is. And I think at the moment, the way that it's going, if nothing doesn't happen immediately, like with staff and prisoners, because right now it's looked at where if you talk to a prison officer now, probably it looks at like you're doing something bad, but it's not that's it, that's it, and other people will come at you. So probably now people won't even speak to them and try and have a good relationship with them. That's why there's so much violence and attacks going on today. Whereas before, when I was in there, in the middle of my sentence, it wasn't like that. You could have that relationship and it'd be all right. And it was not even looked at like nothing dodgy. But now you could just be being friendly and being nice, but someone would look at that as being dodgy. So people won't do that. And that's just because of how the prison is today. It's so hostile. What's changed is there's a lot less staff in there. They're under a lot more pressure. So they're taking it out on people and they're being a lot behind the doors for longer. Education's getting lacquer. There's not as much good things going on. The food's terrible. Waiting for visits is longer because the staff isn't there sometimes. So your family's waiting outside for hours and you're getting half an hour to 45 minutes on a visit when you're meant to have two hours. So all these things are building up due to what's happening in the prison is just causing unrest. So then that's it, there's just this completely, there's us and there's them. That's how it's looked at. So even the people that want to be friendly can't because they will be turned on by other people. And then obviously other things as in the legal highs in the system as well. It's just absolutely changing the place, literally. Like the stats don't lie. Something has got to happen immediately. Otherwise it's just going to go too far out of control, which it virtually is now or is. And there's going to be no turning back because it's just going to be widespread. And it's just going to be like the rule where you just don't talk to officers. Like if you look at American documentaries, the day of prisons, you won't see prisoners talking to officers there. It's completely them and that's it. That's just how it's turned because it's been like that. So it's just the norm and that's it. So if it don't get changed immediately, there's no turning back. And that's how it's just going to be. I want to talk about your future a bit. You're looking forward to your release. What are the kind of relationships that you're going to need to sustain you on the rest of your journey? Well, you're going to need external supportive factors. As much as you've got your family, you need friends, you need working colleagues that can offer work possibly, maybe more training if you need more training, positive role models around you. 
just little things like maybe you're struggling to do something. So really, rather than just kick you out the door, as they'd say, does someone the way they know they could go and contact them for this or that? And it's all different people. Some people might not need much work with them because they might actually be able to look after themselves quite well. And it might be very little, but some people actually, if they don't have help when they get out, they're going to come back to prison. It's a fact. And that's it. There needs to be a next stage for people when they come out that door, a next process where they go along this route to keep them out. And I could promise you if they did that, a lot more people won't come back to prison. How have you changed in terms of how you think about other people? Growing up was a big one for me, but also looking into things a lot more and doing some of the offending behaviour courses. They teach you to recognise things before where you wouldn't take in, just look at a whole bigger picture. This makes you think about things and what could potentially happen and the wider effect. And just knowing where you want to be in life. So if you follow these sort of people and have these relationships and do this, that's just going to lead you one way. If you're around positive people, people that are going to help you or actually want the best for you, then it just shows and it just takes you to a different direction completely. Prisons in the UK run on consent. Their success depends upon a range of positive relationships between prisoners and staff, between prisoners and their loved ones, and with the wider community. Smoothing the journey from custody to community depends on a range of relationships with mentors, with employers, family and support services. This series shows just how important those relationships are to people in prison, when inside and when they're released. We are very grateful to those who took part in our conversations which demonstrate how wider pressures on the prison system can undermine these connections and highlight the need to create a service that enables supportive relationships to thrive. <laughs>